before we get going, I do gotta thank some new Patreon subscribers. We got Kendra Nicole and Terry White. I hope you guys are enjoying all those bonus episodes. I think Patreon has about 50 of them by now. Adding three a month, plus adding more content than that now. Obviously, I add those episodes by the end of the month, so you guys don't know that yet in December, so... Also, I gotta thank Keith on Venmo for sending your donation. If anybody would like to join Patreon, I have a $2, 5 and $10 tier. You can find that at patreon.com slash mysterious circumstances. Or if you want to make a one-time donation, you can hit me at Venmo at mcpodcast. I will be reading reviews at the end of this episode as well, so if you want to hear some, you can hang around after. But with all that behind us, my name is Justin, and this is Mysterious Circumstances. This podcast contains adult content. Some of the themes or topics may include information on murder, kidnapping, torture, dismemberment, maybe some demonic content with information on positions and paranormal activity. This podcast will also include explicit, horrible and foul, socially unacceptable, totally uninhibited adult themes language. So if you're easily offended, if you're easily triggered, then I highly suggest you turn this off now. And if not, just keep in mind, parental discretion is advised. So in 1936, a couple walking around London, Texas, come across a rock with a wooden handle sticking out of it. Ten years later, they decide to break that rock open and find out that there is a full hammer inside of it. The rock dated back about a hundred million years. Is this an out-of-place artifact? Or is it just simple science? I guess we're about to find out. Alright, so this episode might be a little bit shorter than I had hoped because, believe it or not, it it turned out to be not that complicated of a case. The most complicated part about it was learning about geology and minerals, which is not my forte. I did a little bit of reading up on it, talked to a few people about it, so we'll see what we can come up with, and at the end of the day, you guys can decide for yourselves. In 1936... But according to other versions of the story, the discovery took place in June of 1934. Max Hahn and his wife Emma, and for some reason sometimes Max is referred to as Frank, we're not really sure why, but in some publications of the story, when it uh, initially happened back in the 30s and 40s, that was the name they used. Now given the time period and the place, you know, he might have not wanted people to know his identity, so it's understandable, I guess. Nothing too weird for me about that one. They are outside of London, Texas, where they resided. And London, Texas is about a two-hour drive northwest from San Antonio. And it's right on the edge of Kimball County. There are several areas around here where small waterfalls exist. And it's around an area known as Red Creek. And the closest one being about 10 kilometers or 6 miles southwest of London, Texas. So they're walking along Red Creek, and they discovered this rock, and they noticed that there was a wooden handle sticking out of it. And this rock was sitting loose on 
the rock ledge beside a waterfall. And keep in mind, this was not attached to any of the solid rocks around it. It was like a limey rock crustacean. And it was small enough that the couple decided to pick it up and take it home with them. So they have this crustacean with a wooden handle sticking out of it for about 10 years. And in 1946 or 47, depending on where you read, their son George decides to break it open. And he grabs a hammer and chisel and he goes to town on this thing. And he breaks it right in half. And when it opens up, there's a metallic hammerhead in the center of this rock, or this nodule as it's referred to as, and the wooden handle is attached to it. And the thing about it is that this hammer is clearly a recent hammer within about the last hundred years or so. It's about six inches long, or 15 centimeters. It's about one inch in diameter, or about 2.5 centimeters. And the size would suggest that this hammer was used for smaller work or like a softer metal. And the guesstimated time frame would probably be about the mid-1800s. So they decided to take a file to the head of the hammer and they wanted to do some tests on it. And they did. And they found out that the hammerhead is 96.6% iron, 2.6% chlorine, and 0.7% sulfur. Some of these scientific words, I ain't going to lie, like we're going to get into some deep shit when we get into the theories. So I might mispronounce a couple things. If I do, you know, sorry about that. I'm not a fucking scientist. I don't, that's the difference between people who learn from reading and people who learn from people telling them shit. Okay. So anyway, so there's this huge thing about this hammer. And I mean, it was big news like back then. It was considered like this weird out of place artifact. So in 1983, this creationist by the name of Carl Baugh, he ends up getting it from the family, and he ends up referring to it as the London Artifact, and he starts showing it in his creationist exhibits and, and museum. This would be specifically the Creationist Evidence Museum, which was opened in 1984, and uh, Carl Baugh, by the way, is still alive. Uh, I'm pretty sure this museum is also still open. As of today, the rock is guarded and it is currently not available for scientific analysis. So when they started doing tests on the rock and doing tests on the hammer that was inside this rock, they found out that the, the estimated time frame of the limestone rock that this hammer was embedded in dated back almost 400 million years. And the reason that they dated it to 400 million years is because the handle of this hammer that was sticking out of this rock had actually started turning into coal, which means it would have had to be in that rock or, you know, the time frame of something turning into coal you know, matched with the rock or the limestone crustacean, at least 100 to 150 million years old. Now, like I said, the hammer was originally dated to 400 million years old because the handle had started showing signs that it was turning into coal. Creationists assumed that the hammer and rock were a natural part of the rocks nearby. 
And by the way, a creationist is a person who believes that the universe and living organisms originate from specific acts of divine creation, which would be like biblical theory, a biblical account. But there are other people who disagree with this time frame. Some people say that it is from the Ordovician area, and the Ordovician period lasted about 45 million years, and it started 488 million years ago, and it ended 443 million years ago, or 444 million years ago. Then you have others that come out and say that it's Cretaceous rock, and uh, they say that because the site where it was found is part of a large geographical zone called the Edwards Plateau. And the area primarily consists of Cretaceous rock and the geological age of nearby rocks are about a hundred to 115 million years old. And uh, the Cretaceous period is a uh, geological period that lasted from about 145 to 66 million years ago. So this would bring up the question, did humans live at the same time as dinosaurs? And this hammer inside this rock or this piece of limestone could be dramatic evidence of that. But it also brings up the question, how was this hammer made in the 1800s, but yet be over 100 million years old? Because it makes no sense. And before we start breaking down some science and some theories, because there's a lot of shit talking, like I learned a lot about geology and a lot about minerals researching this, before we get into that, go grab yourselves a beer, I'm going to go grab one, I'll meet you back here in a couple minutes, we're going to take a little break. Alright, so let's hit a couple of these theories. Some YouTubers, <laughs> believe it or not, say that uh, this is not from this world. They say that it is from a parallel universe, and this could explain the presumed age, you know, the rock crustacean, the limestone crustacean being a hundred million years old, but yet this hammer being from the 1800s. Yeah, I guess it can explain that, but not, not really, okay? For as much shit as I get into, alright, I get into conspiracy theories, I'm a huge JFK assassination freak, I've dove into MKUltra, hell, I've even done a few episodes that, uh, you know, mention MKUltra, I'm into all that shit, okay, I'm into that shit, but we also have to think logically here, because science, believe it or not, is a real fucking thing, alright, so for me, that is the least probable theory that we have, and I really shouldn't have to go any more in-depth on that, right? Some of the more typically logical explanations are that the hammer could have been dropped inside the crack of a rock. And if the minerals were soluble, this could have hardened around it and encased it, alright? And how this works is uh, petrification. And uh, petrification occurs when the organic matter is completely replaced by minerals and the fossil is turned to stone. This generally occurs by filling the pores of the tissue. Filling the pores of the tissue and inter- and intracellular spaces with minerals, then dissolving 
the organic matter and replacing it with minerals. And the thing about this, though, is that it takes at least about 10,000 years for something to fossilize, okay? And technically, I really don't think that this would qualify as something being fossilized, right? That's just me, though. I could be wrong. If there's anybody, like professors of geology or anything, who want to come on, I will be more than happy to uh, interview you, and we can talk back and forth about this, because it's super curious to me. It really is. Now, here's the theory on how it got fused within the limestone. The main mineral of limestone is calcite. This could precipitate quickly from saturated solutions if the right conditions are present, sometimes in a matter of weeks or months. And this shows up with like beds of seashells that can also stick together really fast because calcite and shells are both made from calcium carbonate. And this easily dissolves and it easily precipitates. Basically, if this hammer was dropped in the right conditions to where somebody couldn't reach it, and with all this shit going on, it is definitely possible. And the main guess is that it fell into a limey clay substance that seemed to harden around the hammer. And this is not uncommon for minerals to harden around an intrusive object. You know, if the object falls on it or up against it and it's chemically soluble, it could very well happen and it could happen easily and it could happen in a short amount of time. So then we have to talk about calcium carbonate. It shares the same typical properties with other carbonates. Notably, it reacts with acids, releasing carbon dioxide, technically speaking, carbonic acid, but that disintegrates quickly to CO2 and H2O. Now remember, this rock with this hammer in it was found near a waterfall on the ledge and it was not attached to any of the rocks that are around in that area. Now, you got to keep that shit in mind. Now, what happens is it releases carbon dioxide upon heating, okay? And it's called a thermal decomposition reaction or calcination. And this can happen up to about uh, above 840 degrees Celsius, which would be about 1500 degrees Fahrenheit with these particular minerals. So my big question, the whole time I was researching this, my big question was not so much the limestone, but how did the handle start to form into coal? Because that takes a huge amount of time. My big thing about it was, can a burnt piece of wood share the same properties as a piece of coal? Well, I started looking into fires around that area, like wildfires and shit like that. With the exception of the New London natural gas explosion that happened in 1937 that killed like 300 people. I mean, if you want to look up on this, it was super crazy, like just insane. With the exception of that, um, up until about the mid 20th century, they really didn't keep that detailed of information about wildfires in the area. So I couldn't pinpoint any wildfire that must have rolled through because, as I just said, when all these chemicals are soluble and you have the right minerals all together, that heat can help progress this, right? 
So what I did find out, though, is that Texas averaged about 10,000 wildfires per year from 2013 to 2018. That's just in a five-year period. Okay, not to mention the mid-1930s. Hard telling how many there was. You know, and, and those fires in particular from 2013 to 2018, those burned like 2 million acres, right? In 2011 specifically, Texas was in a like a year-long drought, okay? There were 31,000 separate fires that rolled through about 4 million acres of Texas. You know, that's not to mention, like I said, back in the 1930s. So we don't know, or even the 1800s for that matter, we don't know. Now, in those cases, the temperature for the average wildfires that went through Texas was about 1,500 degrees Fahrenheit. And like I said, until the mid-1900s, Texas really didn't keep detailed records of fires, with the exception of the New London explosion. So, calcium carbonate will react with water that is saturated with carbon dioxide to form the soluble calcium bicarbonate. This reaction is important in the erosion of carbonate rock which can form caverns, and we all know what caverns are. That also leads to hard water in a lot of regions. Like if you have hard water, there you go. You know what I mean? So getting back to the handle turning into coal, because in a lot of these YouTube videos and a lot of these articles, they really don't touch on that. So like I said before, that was my big thing. I was like, how did, how did the handle turn into coal? Coal's moisture content, a certain type of coal, this is like a Sinjai coal, uh, the moisture content is 10.09%. The ash content is 52.41%. Volatile matter is 23.54%. Fixed carbon, 13.96%. Carbon content, 24.37%. And the sulfur content is about 0.27%. Now, wood is made of fiber and minerals, and if you listened to me read that stuff off and then listened to how this could have happened, you'll notice the mention of a lot of similar minerals. Now, when wood is burned, oxygen and other elements in the air, which would be mainly carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen, they react to form carbon dioxide that is released into the atmosphere while the minerals turn into ashes. However, when wood is burned in an oven with the flow of air stopped, oxygen inside is soon used up and is not enough to oxidize the carbon in the wood. So that would mean that the carbon in the wood is left to turn into coal which makes complete sense. So let's touch on the Creation Evidence Museum of Texas. And by the way, I'm, as I go along, I'll state my sources or whatever, because there were some things, let's be honest, I had to fucking read verbatim, because I don't understand a lot of this shit. I mean, I kind of have a grasp on it now, it makes perfect sense, but you get what I'm saying, right? So... If you go to the Creation Evidence Museum of Texas website, which is, uh, the, the museum is actually in Glen Rose, Texas, there are some questions that they do have on there. And they mention that further analysis is planned to answer questions that include the following, which it's two, 2020, almost 2021, we still ain't had these questions answered, all right? So, 
Is the chlorine content in the iron alloy found throughout the hammerhead or only at the surface? Is the concentration of iron oxides higher in the rock immediately next to the hammerhead? Are there carbon-bearing residues in the cavity? There are reports that the file mark may contain iron 2 oxide or ferrous oxide. Now the file marks, like I had mentioned, back when they did the original testing, they took a file to the hammerhead and used that to do some uh, analysis. Um, This particular iron oxide does not readily form under present environmental conditions. So where are these reports at? We have all these questions. They're even stated on the museum website. Where are the reports? What's taking so long? What's going on? You know what I mean? We also know that evidence points to a decaying geomagnetic field with a half-life of approximately 1,400 years. If the hammer is truly ancient, could the stronger magnetic field have had the effect of helping the formation of this ferrous oxide, this iron-2 oxide? If the artifact is truly from the Cretaceous time frame, where does this leave the evolutionary theory? Okay, because man was not supposed to have evolved for another hundred million years or so after this. If the artifact is relatively recent, that means that the Cretaceous Hensel sand formation from which it came is relatively young. Some may argue that the original rock and fossil were eroded and reworked, but reworked fossils show evidence of wear, and there is no evidence of that. The fossils in the concretion retain fine detail, indicating that they were not reworked, but part of the original formation. Now, again, where does that leave evolutionary theory with its traditional dates for the Cretaceous formations. After reading those questions, I had to dig a little bit deeper, and I found this website called badarchaeology.com, all right, and I'm about to hit you with a bunch of facts about this shit, and this was uh, a guy named Glenn uh, Cuban, or Kuban, not sure how to pronounce his last name, K-U-B-A-N, and he wrote an article called Debunking the London Hammer. And I'm, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. If you go to this website and read this article, it is amazing because down at the bottom, they have a comment section. Holy shit, man. As somebody who like trashes one star reviews and is just like kind of an asshole about it. This guy right here, I'm pretty sure has me beat because dude, he totally trashed like a whole bunch of these comments. And then somebody went down to the bottom and literally is like, Hey man, you might be smart, but You're a total asshole. Guy's just like, I really don't care, man. Like, I'm tired of stupid questions. (laughs) Like, I'm tired of stupid comments. I'm like, fuck, man, I feel this. I feel this guy right now. (laughs) And uh, he he knows his shit, okay? And here's why. Carl Ball, the guy who owns the Creationist Museum in Texas, he is widely regarded with scorn. And this is even by other creationists because he promotes dubious and fraudulent objects and other creationists realize this shit Baugh has tried to use the hammer to show that rock could form in a very short time like young earth creationists everywhere he ridiculously attributes the formation of the geological column to the effects of Noah's flood 
And he says that at the time of Noah, people were skilled metallurgists and that the uh, Ordovician rock from which he claimed it came from could not be anything like as old as science asserts. Now, he continues to promote objects that have long since been debunked. This includes the London Hammer. Now, in the Creation Evolution Journal, written by Winter, 1985, 46-7, he devoted two pages to a rebuttal of Carl Baugh's claims by the anthropologist John R. Cole. This was in the year after the museum opened. Yet, Carl Baugh ignored the criticism for years. Instead, he continues to use it as evidence for high technology in the distant past and the relatively recent formation of much of the geological column. And this would have been during the the flood of Noah. Now, one of his selling points is the allegedly impossible composition of the iron in the hammerhead. Now, a guy named Walter Lang appears to be the first to claim that the hammer had been studied by metallurgists at a laboratory, which has widely been taken to mean the Battelle Memorial Institute. And creationists still talk about Walter Lang and how he had it tested by metallurgists. Now, this claim was directly refuted in the February 1985 issue of Creation Ex Nihilo. According to Walter Lang, the scientists, quote-unquote, were convinced that the rock itself could not have been formed except where there was a great deal of water and pressure, and that the handle had been partly colified under pressure with water and volcanic action. If the Battelle Institute did not supply the data, where did Walter Lang get those opinions? Because they did not supply the data. So maybe this data came from Carl Baugh and tests that maybe he had done? We don't know because we don't have the data. It's just what they say, right? The actual crustacean itself with the hammer is not a detached part of the bedrock in which it was found. It is a concretion made from once dissolved carbonate minerals that precipitated out as the water evaporated. Now, like I had mentioned a couple times, this was found on the ledge of a waterfall. Water evaporation makes total and complete sense because this was not specifically attached to the rocks in the surrounding area. So the actual limestone, the rock could easily be of 19th century date. But we see the claim for antiquity talked about on all these websites, and sometimes with reference to a book by uh, Hans Joachim Zilmer, which is called Darwin's Mistake, Antediluvian Discoveries Prove Dinosaurs and Humans Coexisted. This was uh, published in 1998 by Frontier Publishing. Now, Zilmer makes a good play of the chemical composition of the hammerhead, reporting that it consists of 96.6% iron, 2.6% chlorine, and 0.74% sulfur. This is the analysis that is often wrongly attributed to the Battelle Memorial Institute. Those people who are dependent on this unsourced analysis 
have tried to claim that this is an impossibly pure form of iron and that iron cannot be combined with chlorine. These claims are complete bullshit. Check this out. Steel contains 98 to 99.8% iron. While many iron ores or, uh, or iron naturally contain chlorine, so it's not a question of adding it, right? So the idea that the handle has turned to coal is just absolutely ridiculous. It is quite visibly wood, although the ends apparently show a little carbonization. Carbonization is a process that can happen to vegetable matter, especially wood, when it is heated up. Which is awesome because before I even read this, I was all about like, what about fires? What about the uh, the chemicals and minerals uh, in a piece of wood when it gets burned? Is it close to coal? Da 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 da. It is not partly coalified. the The handle of the hammer is not. If anything, it's on its way to becoming charcoal. That's about it. So the conclusion that we come to is that the London artifact is a hammer partly embedded in a concretion. There is no evidence whatsoever that the uh, that the concretion or nodule was ever part of the Red Creek's geology, the original geology, which is the lower Cretaceous Hensel Sand Formation. These deposits in the actual Red Creek geology are thought to be roughly 110 to 115 million years old. Because they got the object in the early 1980s, the museum, Carl Baugh promoted it as a pre-Noah Flood artifact, okay? Basically saying it dates from the time of the Flood of Noah. But it's pointed out by a geologist that minerals dissolved from ancient strata can harden around a recent object, making it look impressive to someone unfamiliar with geological processes. In fact, the style of the hammer would lead us to know that it is 19th century in date and of definitely American provenance, which would make total sense. So, (laughs) holy shit, alright. It's not often that I don't truly understand shit that I talk about. Um, I mean, I kind of got a concept of what's going on here. I kind of understand it to the point... Here's where I broke it down to like layman's terms, okay? Given the limestone, the minerals in the limestone, what makes up limestone? If this rock was dropped into a crack where somebody couldn't reach it, or even a place or a piece of clay where it could not be reached, on the edge of a waterfall, you have the evaporation, you have the uh, petrification, you have all those factors, It is absolutely possible for everything to form around this hammer. And uh, he used a great example. Look at caverns. When you go into a cavern or a cave, something like that, you know what I mean? It makes complete sense. Now, there are several objects like this. Uh, There's actually some World War II objects that were found embedded in stone as well, which also very interesting, but it's the same thing. It's all about the geology. It's all about the minerals. It's all about the environment and the circumstances surrounding it. So it does make complete sense, especially when you add a factor of a possible fire heating up 
and making that handle turn into quote-unquote coal or charcoal for that matter, whatever the case may be. And the whole crustacean forming around the head of the hammer. If Carl Baugh is 100% confident that this proves there were humans, and he wants to prove that this came from the time of Noah in the Great Flood, and that's how it was caused, then let us do some scientific analysis on it. But anyway, that's really all I got for you. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Like I said, I hope it's not too confusing. It was confusing for me reading it or saying it. Uh, If you actually read a lot of the articles, a lot of information on Google about it, uh, they break it down. You know, there's some websites that break it down a little bit easier. Some of them get way in depth with the chemical balances and the minerals and shit like that. If you guys want to stick around for some reviews, you can. Here's some ways to get a hold of me. You can email me justin.mcpodcast at gmail.com you can hit me on twitter at podcastmc you can hit me on uh, instagram at mysterious underscore podcast there's a link in my bio on instagram you can follow my personal instagram account if you want it is a private account so if you don't have an actual account if you're just one of those people with no profile picture no posts uh, you know, just, I'm not going to accept it. So, um, don't, don't even try. Um, where, what are some other ways here? I don't know. I'm pretty much everywhere. Stop by the Facebook page like that. You can join the Facebook group. I cannot stress this enough. If you go to join the Facebook group and you do not answer the questions, you will not get in the Facebook group. Okay. My admins are very strict on that because that's what I require. I don't want to see What is your favorite episode of Mysterious Circumstances? Well, I've never listened to one yet, but it sounds interesting. Listen, motherfucker, you might hate me, okay? You might listen to an episode and fucking hate me, in which case I don't care because I'm not going to lose any sleep over that. But anyway, but yeah, that's uh, pretty much most of the ways you can get a hold of me. Uh, I have a link tree set up to where you can just MC podcast on link tree and like all of my shit is there. Every single link you know, pretty much, so, anyway, that's about all I got for you, in the following weeks, you're gonna, pretty sure you guys are gonna dig what I put out, so, I will see you folks on the flip side. We got some reviews here. Then uh, I'm, I'm just going to apologize right now. Okay, listen. it's I, I'm not sick. I'm not out of sorts right now. I'm a little fucking buzzed. Okay, <laughs> what's going on right now? So my reading fucking comprehension might not be 100%, but it is what it is. <clears throat> From America, we have five stars I'm a cliche, says Savage Bro. Keep ripping apart the one-star phone warriors. <laughs> well, I tell you what, I am cliche. 
here in the next few reviews, I'm probably going to do just fucking that. Because I got one from an obvious troll account. You can always tell which accounts are trolls on iTunes because they've never left any review for any other podcast. And they have like a fake fucking username and shit. So it's super easy and it's fun to rip these fuckers apart. And you know they're not listening. So they're not affected by any of this. But yeah, I post all my one-star reviews in the fucking Facebook group, man. And like everybody gets in on it. It's literally a team effort. MC Nation. Fucking MC Nation. Love you guys. But anyway, uh, thank you for taking the time to leave that uh, that review, man. I do appreciate it. And like, like I always say, you know... One star or five stars, that's the best part about the one star reviews for me personally is that people don't realize one star reviews still kick into the algorithm and still help people find my podcast that actually like it. So (laughs) I'm not fucking mad about that. One one star review leads me to fucking 10 people and eight of which will probably like my podcast. Thank you, I'm a cliche, I do appreciate that. And by the way, he left some emojis. Strong arm, with a fucking mug of beer, and a fucking burning cigarette. And I will admit this, uh, I posted it in my Facebook group not too long ago, and when I read reviews, this is the only time I really get personal and go off on tangents and, like, talk about myself, really. Um, I am actually almost done smoking cigarettes i am down to uh, a pack like every three or four days right now not gonna lie it's a struggle i couldn't quit cold turkey i'm not doing chantix i'm doing like a little uh like a nicotine little vape pen type thing and it's it's fucking helping me man i'm not gonna lie it's really fucking helping me uh something i wanted to do for myself you know, and for my kids and stuff like that. So I'm actually on my way to quitting smoking and I'm almost there. I can't quit cold turkey. I can't do that shit, but I'm getting there. I'm down to like three, maybe four cigarettes a fucking day. So I actually kind of proud of myself for that. But, uh, if, if I ever get to meet you in person, I don't know who you are, but if I ever meet you, we're definitely going to fucking obviously have some beers and a couple fucking cigarettes. So either way, man, we're good to go. All right. We got one from, oh fuck. I read this one today. It was so great. It's five stars and it's from Seahawks below. All right. I will fucking, I love this just because of the fact I'm a, I'm a big sports guy. I fucking love sports. I grew up playing sports. I'm not a Seahawks fan, but I am a Russell Wilson fan. I will say that because the guy, he's a pretty legit fucking good guy. Like, just an all-around nice guy, and it's so fucking hard to hate him. You know what I mean? Because he's just a genuinely good person. But yeah, like, fuck the Seahawks. You know, like, I love watching them get beat because their fans get so fucking pissed. But yeah, I, I'll agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> Not trying to throw any fucking smoke. But anyway, it says, uh, the most detailed history true crime podcast. Amazing podcast. Justin really takes the time to thoroughly research each unique topic and delivers it in a fashion that feels like you're having a conversation with your buddy. Uh, as a listener, this delivery really allows you to retain the information. 
do yourself a favor and listen to Justin's series on Billy the Kid. This was the most comprehensive account of the kid's story that I have ever heard. I anxiously await your series on Blackbeard. Uh, Keep it up, Justin. You're putting out an amazing product. Thank you. I tell you what, man or woman, I'm not sure. I'm just in the habit of saying man and dude and shit like that. But I, dude, when people ask me, you know what my favorite episodes are? I've put out 160 of them now. I think I'm like at 160. People always ask me, what are your favorite episodes? What do you suggest? And that's like picking a fucking kid for me. I've put time and effort and energy into every single one of my episodes, whether it be 15 minutes long or three hours long. Because I've had episodes range from all kinds of topics to all kinds of time lengths. And when I tell people my favorite personal episodes, I always say it's a tie between John Dillinger and Billy the Kid. And John Dillinger obviously afforded me a lot of opportunities to get recognition from a lot of higher-ups in certain industries and in certain law enforcement agencies as well. That's a whole nother story. But the Billy the Kid episode was great for me because I had this idea in my head growing up. I'm 40 years old, just turned 40 in November. And I always grew up watching, you know, Young Guns and Young Guns 2 and watching various documentaries and, you know, just random shit. And when I actually broke it down and got into it, like people don't realize, like part of the reason I do what I do with these historical figures is to add context to the person because, knowing and seeing what they do without that context that's the context is sometimes is the most important fucking part of the story and it's always the part of the story that people seem to leave out and with billy the kid that's the perfect example because he didn't kill 21 people by the time he was 21 he killed like eight fucking people all right granted not a good thing but you got to understand too that at least six of them were out of self-defense and his situation like if he wouldn't have been put in the situation that he was put in by a corrupt political system in lincoln county he never would have even been a marker on history he never would have been billy the kid quote unquote nobody would know who the fuck this guy was and it's that kind of context that i love to bring to people and um i appreciate you saying that it's the most comprehensive that you've heard because i really 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 put a lot of time and effort and research into that and that's a huge compliment for me so uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for, for you know, leaving that good review and saying those nice things. Uh, next up, we got five stars. It's from Seashell789. Uh, Amazing podcast. This is my number one favorite podcast at the moment. I came across it by accident, but I love how much research Justin puts in. And I equally love when uh, he cuts in with his opinion because it's hilarious and not too distracting. This show plus free time in quarantine promoted me to finally make my own podcast. Thank you so much, Justin. Your show is an inspiration. Haha. <laughs> uh, love you. 
<laughs> Nurmer Nurmer Pod. Hey, you know what? Nurmer Nurmer Pod. I I am literally helping two podcasts start up right now for the beginning of the year. I've helped about a half a dozen start out so far over the course of the last couple years. I love watching them succeed. It's it's fulfilling for me because in this industry, people don't realize that once you decide to start a podcast, the first question people usually ask are, what are you going to cover? What's your topics? And when I ask that question, I'm just genuinely curious. But other people ask that question because you will possibly become competition in the future. And I don't agree with that. I don't think it's cool, man. Like, we're all indie podcasts out here. We're not backed by millionaire fucking corporations out of Los Angeles. We're not, you know, Joe Rogans who already had fame and already had a name established who fucking run out and bam, they're already promoted and sponsored and fucking da 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 and not throwing any fucking smoke to joe rogan because i i honestly love that podcast he has some of the most interesting uh interviews that you can find anywhere and it's an amazing podcast but that's usually how it goes so i so that being said Anytime you need anything, like you need some advice, you need some editing advice, help, whether it's you asking me what host site I use, what editing shit I use, what mic I use, I don't give a fuck what it is. Send me an email, ask me, I will fucking hands down fucking help every single person I can break into podcasting because if you have a passion for something... Don't let fucking people throw smoke. Like, if you want to talk about something that you're interested in, you should have the most support fucking possible. And even though you don't know me and I don't know you, you fucking kick me a fucking email. I got your fucking back, dude. You throw me a promo, I'll play it on my podcast, depending on your content. Depending on the content. I'm a very weird person about promoting certain podcasts. Because there's certain criteria that I don't cross the line when it comes to podcasting. But get a hold of me, man. I'm I'm willing to help you as much as I can. No problems, no questions asked. Going back on the uh, when I insert my opinion, I do that very rarely. <laughs> but when I do, I try to make light of a situation, you know, or something like that. I try to make a joke or whatever. But anyway, Seashell7789. Thank you so much for that five stars. And um, I hate to say, you know, because of quarantine, a lot of new listeners have found me and I'm thankful for that. I'm not thankful for quarantine, obviously. You know, I wish you would have found me sooner, but at the same time, it's better late than never. So fuck yeah, man. All right. Next one is uh, five stars. Angels Lilac says, bravo, bravo, more please. You know what? I'm trying my best. <laughs> Fucking trying my best. I got a lot of shit going on right now with my other podcast, Sweetie Anna Project. I've hit a fucking another goddamn roadblock with that podcast. I've never made a podcast that has more problems than that because of various fucking reasons. But thank you so fucking much for taking the time. And here we go. We got one star. It's from a bunch of jumbled letters together that don't form any name. And it says, could be better. And I shit you not, this review says, was about as pleasurable as being circumcised. (laughs) 
Oh, and I fucking love this review because it brings up so many fucking questions. My first one being, obviously you're a fucking male, alright? Obviously you're a fucking dude. How old were you when you got circumcised? Do you remember that? Is it vivid in your fucking memory? Was it a situation where your wife or significant other, whether it be male or female, doesn't matter, was like... Baby, listen, just get that hood, just get that fucking hood cut off, baby. It'll boost your self-confidence. It'll fucking look bigger. I promise. Was it one of those scenarios? Cause I'm kind of thinking that might be like a thing, you know? And, uh, with that being said, I'm going to go to some of the comments on my Facebook group when I posted this fucking thing. <laughs> and, uh, my first one, obviously, is from my good friend Heather down in Indianapolis, and she says, uh, So this person has never left a review under this name and doesn't seem to ever have used this name for anything else. She honestly, like, looks into all these one-star reviews just to see where they left other reviews and blah, blah, blah. And this is how you can tell it's a troll account. This person created a new a username just to leave this review. Uh, I think he is a jealous hater. And, uh, she goes on to say a couple more things, but I'll just keep that, keep that, uh, in the group. <laughs> uh, my buddy Kevin Carlton from Dark Windows Podcast, who I have an episode coming up with. My next episode, uh, I got two episodes coming up by the end of, no, uh, December. I got, uh, Blackbeard, which is so fucking interesting. Not all bullshit aside. Uh, and the next one being the Travis Walton abduction, which for those of you into the fringe and into the UFO and aliens and stuff, this will be my first alien encounter type episode that I've ever done because I find it the most credible and I wanted to try to debunk it. I entrusted the help of my friends Kevin and Kevin from the Dark Windows podcast. That's probably going to be the next episode out. But anyway, he, he goes on to say this shows some serious commitment making a fake account most likely a fake email also just to leave a bad review i'd frame that shit <laughs> all right so let's check this one out this one is from uh my friend tina she says damn sounds like someone is thinking about his dick when he thinks about justin <laughs> a true story like i legit as fuck just had to, i had to have this conversation with my 12 year old like a couple weeks ago, okay, because he's 12 years old, he's starting to go through changes, so listen to this one-star reviewer, my anonymous reviewer, who created an account just to leave this bad review, to try to be funny and shit, listen man, your body goes through changes sometimes, whether you're attracted to me, or a female, or, you know, anything else for that matter, whether you're attracted to animals, I don't fucking know, like, listen, it's it's almost perfectly natural. Well, not when you're attracted to fucking animals. That's weird. But listen, man, like, if you feel that tingling sensation when you hear my fucking voice or when you see my face, because from what people tell me, I'm a fairly attractive fucking guy. Like, like listen, I get it, man. Like, it's fine. I, I'm not going to hate on you for that. But don't take it out on me, you know, because you have some deep-seated insecurities or whatever the case may be, you know. I'm just, 
you know, trying to help, offer encouragement, you know, that's perfectly natural. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's a circumcision type experience. That might be just you're getting excited or something. That's fine. Probably my favorite one, though, in the comments section when I posted this review is from my buddy Matt Locke, who is co-host of uh, Blood and Dust podcast, my other podcast uh, where I have a couple co-hosts. We do uh, Wild West True Crime. Uh, he says he definitely jerks it through the pee hole of his PJs at his Gam Gam's basement that he calls his apartment. <laughs> When I read that fucking comment, I died. I literally fell out. My heart fucking stopped. I died from a laughter. That is amazing. And it's probably fucking true. But anyway, anonymous troll account, that's what we fucking think of you. So now we're going to get back to the people that actually fucking matter, okay? All right, we got one from, uh, I think it's pronounced Jason Leach. Jason Leach. Spud a little differently, but it's five stars. It says, killing it. Actually heard about you from listening to Hillbilly Horror Stories, and I'm glad I did. Uh, not only is your approach and content great, but listening to another member of the Fort, Fort Fun community is very cool to hear. C keep it coming. And uh, I'm going to say that you're from also from Fort Wayne. It's funny because like when you're from Indiana and you're from Fort Wayne, people are like, where are you from? And you're just like, yeah, the fort. And people know exactly where that is, fucking Fort Wayne. So yeah, if you're actually from Fort Wayne, man, and we call it Fort Fun, dude, because Fort Wayne is literally known for restaurants and bars. That is about fucking it. We have a super cool uh, old fort downtown in the downtown area where the original fort was built when the uh, city was established. Cool historical shit down there. Really, really interesting. But um, yeah, we're it's fort fun, dude. Like we don't have anything else to do other than go to restaurants and eat fucking food. And we have like 200 fucking bars. It's ridiculous. You can go downtown and within a four block radius, there's probably five or six different bars, which is super fun for me personally, <laughs> but you know, that's just me. So, Hey, you know, if you're enjoying the show, man, I appreciate it. Fucking thanks a lot, you know, and fucking hit me up in the email sometime. We'll grab some beers. All right. Next up we got uh five stars says Joe Newley. Excellent topics, excellent research. Justin is my favorite pos podcaster. He's down-to-earth, great at research, and offers interesting topics. He talks with his listeners as if uh, we were there with him. He has a great voice that adds to his content. A recent review talks about his language. I think his language is real and reflective of the world we live in, and I appreciate Justin being himself. If you've not listened to these podcasts, you're missing out. You know what? I'm not going to disagree with you there. And and like I've always said from day one, uh, when people when people say, you know, that I tell it like it is, you know, listen, I'm not going to put on a front for anybody. Like, if you don't like me, you can fuck right off. I really don't care. I'm not losing any sleep over it. I am not here to please any motherfuckers other than my two fucking kids. They are the only people whose opinion that I actually give a fuck about. So, like... When people meet up with me at, uh, you know, Crime Con or come to my live shows, 
they're always like, man, you're, you're just so fucking cool and laid back and like fun to hang out with. And it's like, yeah, that's who I am. That's how I, that's how I do it. You know, I'm, I'm here for a good time, not a long time. You know, I'm here to be a good fucking dad, teach my boys right and have fucking fun while I'm at it. That's pretty much how I do it. I try to stay informed and try my best to keep the intelligence level up a little bit, but you know, that is what it is. Sometimes I do dumb shit, but <laughs> all right. Next one up, we got uh, five stars. C1M2S5. Definitely one of my faves. Justin, you are awesome. I absolutely love how uh, you present the case and just basically roll with the content. It just feels like a friend telling me a story, and I love that. Keep up the great work, dude. Well, I tell you what. To you as well, dude or dudette, whatever the case might be. Uh, I usually call guys and girls dude, to be perfectly honest with you. But um, I appreciate that. You know, I do have some more true crime, unsolved true crime coming up in the future. I do have some more big series coming up in the future. You know, I got the Cray Twins coming up at the beginning of the year uh, in 2021. Um, I'm thinking next summer probably gonna take that fucking deep dive into the jfk assassination because it's something i've been fascinated with for like 20 fucking years and i just want to get it done and the best part is about that is my good friend fucking deputy x who's done a couple episodes a couple amas with me he's actually just as obsessed with it as i am so he's gonna join me on that venture so should be really really fun but yeah, I got I got so much content that I want to do that I just don't have time to fucking do, man. Oh, it's just so many things, not enough time, you know. It's the the oldest tale in the book. This one is from UK. It is Alex Stone 87 four stars. Loving your first Al Capone episode. I'm really enjoying your first Al Capone episode. Also, since I'm from the UK, I wanted to vote for the Cray Twins. Fuck yeah, man. I tell you what, uh, Alex Stone 87, uh, the Cray Twins is already a lock. We are going to be doing that, like I said, at the beginning of the year. So, so we are good to go. Ned Kelly will obviously get done, but it will get done at a later time because I went for reviews and instead of reviews, I actually ended up getting a bunch of messages on social media, like Instagram and shit. Everybody's like, dude, do the fucking Cray Twins, man. Fucking do it. All right, let's do uh, Australia here. We got uh, five stars. It says Fuzz Me. It's from Sydney, Australia. It says you smash these true crime stories like a boss. I fucking appreciate that, man. Like I said, I've kind of veered off. I love doing historical true crime. I really fucking do. Um, but I do have some current cases coming up. I have one out of Pennsylvania. Uh, that I got, that I noticed actually on my friend's feed that I'm going to be doing. Uh, I got another one that's kind of like a conspiracy type weird death to where the dude was involved in some super weird shit. And I got some, some more stuff like that coming up too. I haven't found too many paranormal cases that really sparked my interest to where I can really dive in deep to try to debunk them. I will be doing the Warrens. In 2021 as well, I'm going to debunk the shit out of Ed and Lorraine Warren. Probably going to piss off all my paranormal listeners because, believe it or not, my paranormal episodes, whether I debunk them or not, have the most downloads across the fucking board in every single country. I don't know why, but 
I'm probably going to piss a lot of them people off when I do Ed and Lorraine Warren because I'm going to break that shit down, man. And it's not because I don't respect them or respect what they did to try to help people. It's because a lot of shit is fabricated in those stories, man. So I want to get down to brass tacks. So anyway, thank you very much. All right, next we're going to move on to Canada. We got five stars. It says uh, Melanie Mack says, yay, loving this quote unquote new to me podcast. Am about halfway through the past episodes. Was told about you through the haunts episode. Uh, Keep doing what you do. I'm a fan. Well, fucking A. Dude, I tell people this shit all the time. I don't have fans. I have friends and I have listeners. And a lot of times them listeners, once we hang out and have some beers together, they end up being friends, man. It's fucking pretty cool like that. But uh, no, it's it's greatly appreciated. I'm not 100% sure what the Haunts episode is, though. Maybe, I, I'm not sure what that is, but uh, either way, thank you so fucking much for taking the time to, to leave that review. The next one in Canada's five stars says, uh, <laughs> I don't know why the fuck to say this. Y-O-Y-W-I-E-U-I-S, I don't know says amazing it says hey justin i think your podcast is amazing i do enjoy the uh juxtaposition of your cool vocal effect with uh especially with the mafia gangster podcast i think you're very insightful wishing you all the best from toronto canada keep up the great work um thank you very fucking much man uh I fucking am so deep into the mob, uh, in the mafia and shit. That's been one of my things since I was a kid. For some odd reason, I still don't understand it. It's something that I have a lot of knowledge on, and it's something that I just don't have to think about. You can bring up a gangster, and I can have a conversation with you for hours about that. That's going to lead into other gangsters and other mafia guys. So, um... Yeah, like, that's kind of easy for me, so uh, I enjoy it. I'm not sure what what vocal effect we got going on, but in all the same, thank you very, very much for taking the time to leave that review. I greatly appreciate it, and I think we are done for reviews for now. So, I'm going to put this phone away, done reading reviews, and until next time, I will see you folks on the flip side.